How's everybody feeling? All right, let's let's open our hearts. Uh, lift lift your hands if you would, if you're able and willing, and let's just um, join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for every single person that's here, Lord. I appreciate every single one of them. I thank you for their life. I thank you for their testimony. I thank you for the growth and the things that you're doing in them. Father, I ask for a blessing from heaven to just pour over their lives, their minds, their hearts, their families, their finances. Father, cause them to walk in favor and abundance in every area of their lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Father, I ask you today that you'll anoint me by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I know what I want to say. I know what you've laid on my heart. I pray that you'll give me articulation and speech today to do it in power and in demonstration of the Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. We're going to start something totally new today. Yeah. Uh, I just mean, you know, new series. I I want to spend some time looking at the life and what the Scriptures tell us about the prophet Elijah. Elijah, and uh, so we're going to look at two places in the scripture to start. First Kings, uh, well, let's do First Kings second. So let's do Matthew seventeen and First Kings seventeen. But I want to do Matthew seventeen first. So in Matthew 17, it's the, it's the Mount of Transfiguration story. Jesus goes up on a high mountain with his disciples, and he is transfigured. The light that is in him radiates out through his body. And Moses and Elijah show up, and he has a conversation with them. And then the disciples ask him uh, at the end, verse 9, after the experience, Matthew 17, verse 9, Now as they came down from the mountain... Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? So you have Elijah, the historical person in the past, but you also have, in the time of Jesus, the idea of Elijah in the future. And so they said, why do the scribes say then that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said to them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the son of man is about to suffer at their hands. And then they understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So, Jesus does funny things with time in lots of places. Uh, Most notably, if, if you remember Mark 11, 24, where Jesus is teaching the disciples about faith that will move mountains. And he says, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, present tense, believe that you have received them, Past tense, and you shall have them. So he, ta- he takes past, present, future and puts it all in one moment in time when you pray. Right? And when he talks about Elijah, he's doing the same thing here. He's, he's saying Elijah w- w- is coming, right? 
So they say, why do the scribes say that Elijah will come future? Elijah is coming, present, and will restore all things, future. And Elijah has come already, past. Can be confusing, huh? But it's a principle. There's a principle here that I want you to see. One thing that I want to point out before we go to 1 Kings 18 is that Elijah comes to restore all things. Jesus said that. Elijah will come and will restore all things, right? Now, John the Baptist was not the historical figure Elijah, correct? But Jesus says he was Elijah who had already come. And there are some Bible prophecy teachers, there are some who teach, that the spirit of Elijah or Elijah the prophet will be one of the two witnesses that will come because they put the book of Revelation out in the future. Or the spirit of Elijah will come and do all kinds of things. And particularly if you were around the Pentecostal charismatic movement at all in the 90s, early 2000s, everybody was talking about the spirit of Elijah and fathering and turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and all that stuff, right? So what do we do with this character, Elijah? So let's, let's just look at where he's introduced, because his introduction is, is interesting. And that's in 1 Kings 17. And I'm just going to read the first verse. 1 Kings 17, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite. Everybody say Tishbite. So Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Before the Lord God who lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be rain or dew except at my word. So let's deal with the, the interesting thing about Elijah is he's kind of a mysterious character because he shows up out of nowhere. And you guys know how important genealogies are in the Bible, right? I mean, you try to read through Genesis, Leviticus, it's always somebody begat somebody, begat somebody, and, and greatness comes in generations. You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? You have, you have David and Solomon, you have, right? Um, I'm trying to think who else is notable, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Here, here is Elijah, no genealogy, kind of like Melchizedek, right? No genealogy, he just shows up. And the only thing you know about him he's, is he's a Tishbite. Now, here's the interesting thing. You won't find other Tishbites in the Bible. Now, let me, let me preface a statement. Because understand, there are people whose mission in life is to make the Bible stand up historically no matter what. The evidence. Uh, and if you Google that, you'll find somebody somewhere who says a Tishbite is from some place that sounds like it. Kind of like, uh, what, what was it? I, I can't remember. Um, uh, remember back in the time with Hal Lindsey and all that, some of you that are older, the late great planet Earth and all that Bible prophecy stuff and, and, and everything was going to happen bad out of Russia, right? I mean, it's really easy to see how we do this because what's going on at that time period? The Cold War, right? And somewhere in the Bible it talks about Gog and Magog, remember? And so they said Magog was Moscow, just because they sounded similar, right? But there's no real justification other than that they sound the same. Never mind, they're totally different languages. But just because they sound the same, that must be what it is, right? 
So you can look some of that stuff up, and they'll tell you, you know, they're from a region or whatever. But the truth is, an honest Bible scholar says there's, there's no Tishbite. <laughs> now, he was among the inhabitants of Gilead. So I'm not doubting. Now, before I get, you know, all my fundamentalist friends worked up, or literalist friends worked up, I'm not here to debate the historical personage of Elijah, all right? But what I am going to suggest to you is that the way the Bible presents Elijah, he is presented as a pattern and a principle, not just as a historical story. And the only benefit that we get right now is if we look at Elijah as a pattern or a principle that we can apply to our lives. If Elijah is not a pattern and a principle, then how does Jesus blend the timing of Elijah is coming, will restore all things, but he has come and they didn't know who he was? You see what I'm saying? So there's a pattern and a principle there. Now here's why this is important. Because Elijah, as a name, is actually a blending of the names of God. There, there are two primary names of God in Scripture. And I don't want to bore you or upset you too much, but there are two different accounts that have been merged together in your Bible that are Hebraic. Uh, all you have to do is look at the flood. I did this on a Wednesday night once, and it, it was interesting to do. You have those that refer to God as Yahweh or Yah, and every time they talk about God, they call him Yahweh. You have, you have two creation accounts. In Genesis chapter 1, the name Yahweh is not mentioned. He's called Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Then when you get to the English, anytime you see the word Lord, it says when the Lord God created the heavens and the earth, or Yahweh Elohim, right? And so the theory among Bible scholars is that the ten tribes referred to God as Elohim and the two tribes in the north, Judah and um, Benjamin, referred to him as Yahweh. And whoever put the scriptures together took all of Israel's stories and blended them together. So here's the point. Elijah is the blending of those two names of God. Eli for Elohim and Yah for Yahweh. So you have eli in human form. Going to the government and saying, I'm taking control of the entire economic system. It will not rain. Now watch this. Why doesn't he say, before the Lord God, before whom I stand, there will not be rain, nor will there be dew on the earth, except at my word. How come he didn't say except at God's word? Now, what's a Tishbite, Aaron? <laughs> Let's come back to Tishbites. This word Tishbite, if you look it up, if, if you do a good word study on it, the word Tishbite simply means a dweller. Everybody say with me, a dweller. Okay, so, so, so I'm just like someone who lives someplace, who dwells someplace, who stays someplace, right? But the root of it is to sit down. Everybody say sit down. 
and specifically upon a throne. So let's just read it. Eli Yah, the dweller who sits upon a throne, who is among the inhabitants of Gilead, Gilead, which is where all the healing spices came from, stood before the king and said, I'm taking control of the future. I'm taking control of the economic system. I'm taking control of the natural order and pattern of things. And because you're a king who denies God, because you're a government who denies God, then it will not rain nor will dew come upon the earth except at my word. Think about the boldness of that. Except at my word. My word has the power to control, to override the king. My word has the power to override the government. My word has the power to override the elements and the atmosphere. But here's the issue. My word rules in the heavens and upon the earth. Eli-Yah. Now he becomes the prototype prophet. He becomes the prototypical Prophet. So the next person in the Bible that's connected to Elijah is John the Baptist, right? Come with me to Luke's Gospel. <clears throat> Zechariah, <laughs> whose name means God will remember. who's married to a woman whose name means the oath of God. So you have past and future. No, John the Baptist. John the Baptist's dad was Zechariah. God will remember. He's married to Elizabeth, which is tied to the oath of God and also a house. So the oath has to do with the future and remembrance has to do with the past. Notice the time blending. And Zechariah goes in to do his priestly duties, right? And let's just pick it up uh, in verse 9. Luke chapter 1. Let's just, let's just start in verse 5. What the heck? There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So it was while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was was praying outside at the hour of the incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall neither... uh, 
he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of, uh, of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the uh, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Now watch this. And the angel answered and said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. What gave Gabriel credibility And power to back up his word. He stood in the presence of God. What was significant about Elijah that gave his word credibility and power? He stood in the presence of God. You see the connections being made? Now, how does that relate to us? How does that relate to us? Here's the issue, and I'm taking some liberties here, but bear with me. I hesitate to put it out front, but I'm afraid if I don't just put it out there, you're going to miss it. All right, let's let's do it this way. So one of the, one of the things that the Lord has been challenging me with is how we language things, how we say things matters. Words have power, right? And sometimes when you hear something the same way every time, you get locked into a groove or a box that, that really puts you in bondage and prevents you from experiencing the full impact and the full power of what's being said. Particularly sometimes when it comes to spiritual things. Now, if you go outside of Christendom, you go outside of people who uh, maybe are part of your circles, part, maybe, maybe all the studies you ever go to are with other Christians, maybe the only speakers you ever read are, or listen to are other Christian speakers, maybe the only books you ever read are written by other Christian authors, right? But if you step outside, you would understand that there is a, there really is a spiritual awakening that is happening in the world today, but it is not finding footing in the church. It is finding footing outside of the church. There is a phenomenon where people are waking up and they're saying, it's almost like, like the church, if the church is still trying to argue evolution, they're outdated and they're in the past. And that's something I'm going to take issue with in a really big way today. So I may offend some of you, but hopefully you'll, you'll listen and you'll get over it. And hopefully you'll be able to see the wisdom and the spirit by which I'm saying this. Because it is a crucial issue. Because the problem with the external church, with the visible church, is that she's totally stuck in the past. She's constantly looking to the past for her patterns. Instead of going in the spirit and standing before the presence of the Lord to find out where the future is. See, where God wants a... The the prophetic church stands at the event horizon in the heart of God to see that which He is about to bring forth and that which He is about to manifest. And it will not look like the past. So there is another great awakening that is taking place, but it is not being led by preachers. Because here's what happened in the great awakenings of the past. They were controlled by the elite. 
So what happened in the first great awakening was you had a religious system that was cold and dry and intellectual and it was controlled by the clergy elite. And don't kid yourself that the center of every town was a church building. This is not necessarily a good thing. And what would happen, and what, so what happened was, you had preachers like John Wesley, you had preachers like Jonathan Edwards, they went out to the common people, and there was a spiritual awakening of, of emotion. So in the Great Awakening, they were, they were accused of emotionalism, because they were awakening from dead, dry, cold, intellectualized religion. And they're awakening, but the problem was, they shifted It never empowered the individual. It brought them into the church buildings. But what's happening now is that people are are becoming empowered in a way that has never ever happened before. And there's a spiritual awakening. And so the problem is, is the church keeps trying to fight battles that are over. No, Nobody really gives a rip anymore about evolution. That's not an issue that needs to be on the table. We don't need to argue with people in favor of a creator because the culture as a whole is no longer stuck in a materialistic worldview with no sense of spirituality. See, 20, 30, uh, 50 years ago, whatever it was, the, the, there was just materialism, there was just science, there, there, was, there was nothing spiritual, and so if we did away with the Creator, then we're just stuck. And so, well, we got to get you to believe in Creator so we can convince you that we're right. <laughs> But what's happening today is people are realizing we are rejecting on a large scale a materialistic worldview that says that this physical reality is all that there is. And people all over are waking up to the reality of spiritual dimensions. They're waking up to the futility of their own egos and they're asking questions and they're languaging things in a way that the church does not understand. But I want to suggest to you that there are people out there that understand the spiritual realm and the spiritual dimensions and know how to vie prophetically for the future more effectively than many people who are sitting in chairs or pews on Sunday mornings and even more effectively than many who are preaching. And one of the terms they talk about is the higher self. So everybody say with me, higher self. And so here's the idea. The idea is this. That the the, the body that you're wearing, the personality that you're wearing, the person that you are is merely, if you will, an avatar. A, 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 a suit that you put on in order to connect with the physical world and the physical environment. Are you tracking with me? But that, that, that this being that you are is connected to a higher self that exists in what they call the fifth dimension. So you have the three-dimensional world, then you have time, Back to time again, which is a fourth dimension. Then you have a higher self that is a spiritual entity that exists in a fifth dimension or higher. And they call that the higher self. And so a lot of people are running around in new age circles and whatever. They're trying to connect with their higher self. But did you know that your Bible tells you the same thing? Ephesians chapter 2, just for those of you that don't know, it's actually in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, I'm going to read it quickly. And you, he made alive, meaning Christ, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, here's your avatar, 
your earth suit, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also you once conducted yourselves in the lust of your flesh, fulfilling the desires of your flesh and of your mind, and were by nature the children of wrath just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. He's taking a past event, the resurrection of Christ, and he's bringing it into the present moment, blending time. See it? And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not future tense, past tense. Sitting. Where? Sitting. Not in heaven. That's one. Heavenly places. How can you be in heavenly places? All right. Sitting, Tish Bites. You getting it? That in the ages to come, there's the future. See, people say Paul thought that he was living in the end times. Then how could he say in the ages to come? He wasn't expecting the second coming of Jesus. He was living at the end of one age, the beginning of a new age, the end of the law age, the end of the old covenant age, the beginning of the kingdom age. It's all over in the Bible. That in the ages, man, I I upset religion, but it's in the Bible. I'm not making it up. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, and not of works lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So guess what, gang? You have a higher self that has been made alive together with Christ that has been raised up with Him and has been seated with Him in heavenly places. Which means, now here's the issue, guys, and this is what I'm trying to get to. Your higher self exists in a dimension higher than time. I'm going to say it again. Your higher self exists in a realm and a dimension that is higher than, everybody say it with me, time. And it is also a realm that is outside of these three dimensions or space as you understand it. So in other words, you have a self, a higher self that's in Christ, that is seated outside of time and space, that is seated in a place of authority that is outside the dimensions of this physical reality and everything that you know and understand about it. Therefore, when Paul talks about it, he takes a past event and makes it sound like it's present. He died back then. This was at least decades after the death of Christ. He raised back then, decades past, but when he raised, you raised. Now he's connecting it to your present. When he raised, you raised. When he died, you died. When he raised, you raised. When he was raised up, you were raised up. When he was seated in heaven, you were seated in heaven. So that's time. And in the, and this happened so that it could affect the future. 
He blends it all together and boom, because you're in a place above it. But then he says this. He didn't say you were seated in heaven. He says you were seated in heavenly places. So how can you be in multiple places at one time? You can because that realm doesn't function by these linear rules and laws. So therefore you aren't in just one place. You're (laughs) multidimensional. You have multiple presences in multiple places, in multiple heavens, on multiple seats of authority. You. Not just Jesus. Not just some saint somewhere. Not just somebody special. You have a higher self in Christ from the fifth dimension or above. (laughs) The only ones that really have authority, that have a tradition that goes back 2,000 years. Let me think about this. We have a tradition that goes back over 2,000 years that talks about a higher self that we should be seeking to connect to and we don't even have a language to talk about it. Yet we'll listen to people outside of our circles who actually have the language and the principles to talk about it and we'll curse them as demoniacs and heretics and say that they're full of darkness and say we're right and they're wrong. And so what I'd like to suggest to you is this, really simple. What I'd like to suggest to you is that you have an Eli-Yah. Who is a dweller, a Tishbite. Who stands in the presence of the Almighty Living God. And sits in a place of authority above rulers and powers and authorities in this world. Or above the King Ahabs of the world. And that because you exist in a dimension that is above time and space also gives you authority over the forces and the elements and the natural laws of this world. And we spend most of our time being the avatar. Identifying with the avatar, thinking this in here is the center of my world and my existence, and it's my perception and my viewpoint. It's living from this perception and viewpoint that is trapped inside this body. That creates the ego self that has the illusion of separation from God, separation from the heavens, separation from power, and separation from authority. And if you go back and read the book of Ephesians, what Paul's really trying to do is to get the church to realize that through their mind, through their consciousness, they need to shift awareness to where they are no longer just connecting with the avatar, the the body self that's here, but they need to put off the old man and be renewed in the spirit of their mind and put on the new man who is the one that's seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that they can operate prophetically from a sphere of authority that manifests the future the way God wants it to be manifest rather than having eyes in the back of their head constantly looking to the past trying to perpetuate a past that no longer exists. We got to go back to the book of Acts. If we could just recreate the book of Acts, we'll have revival. So the leaders in the book of Acts were called elders, so we need to have elders. The leaders in the book of Acts were called deacons, so we need to have deacons. 
Funny there was no pastor. Just saying. I know if we can have community, if we can pray every day in houses, if we can meet in house churches and go from house to house into the temple, then we'll recreate the book of Acts. If we could just get the doctrine as pure as what they had it, then we can recreate the book of Acts. If we could go back and understand first century Christianity and the early Christianity and read the early church fathers, then we'll really have what they had and we can recreate what they had. And we missed the whole point. What what had happened was something incredibly new had taken place. John the Baptist, who comes in the spirit of Eli Yah, is the forerunner. He is the prophet. He is the messenger of something radically different and radically new. So radically different that Jesus said, you cannot take an old piece of garment and and, and put it on and patch the new. you got to get a whole new garment. You cannot take new wine and pour it into old wineskins, otherwise the old wineskins which lose their elasticity will burst and the wine skin and the wine will be lost. Jesus said, no, you have to get a whole new garment. You have to get a whole new wineskin. You have to get a... There has to be a complete renovation. You need to quit looking to the past. You need to stop being locked into the patterns of your past and stop being locked into this present that you feel powerless and you feel separated and you don't know what to do and understand that there is a you that stands in the presence of the Almighty Living God that you can connect with that is a Tishbite that is seated in a place of authority that can begin to speak with a word that has so much power that you begin to bring creative forces to bear upon the present to structure and frame something that has never been before so that you move from the present into a future that is unlike anything that you've had in the past. And our problem is we keep looking back instead of being ready to look forward. We keep trying to reproduce the revival of yesterday. We keep trying to reproduce the experience of yesterday. And if we'll just do it like this, we can recreate the experience not realizing that you're stuck in an illusion. You're living from the fourth dimension and below when God is trying to get you to connect with the you that it transcends time and space. Just our worship. Can I just talk about our worship? And I'm not talking about, I'm, I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about, I'm talking about as a whole in the church. Could we please for the love of God, get something that is remotely prophetic in the worship. Because here's our issue. See, you got to understand, one of the things the church is called to do is to package what God is doing in a contemporary package that will impact the present. We talked about the future. But at the same time, we have to become present to the present. And we have to package things in a way that people can receive it. So when the Reformation is taking place, when the Reformation is happening, one of the things that made the Reformation so powerful was that Martin Luther and those guys took barroom songs. Like, you know, you hear, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. That was a barroom tune. Now, whether you know it or not, I'm just going to tell Martin Luther, because he's the one that said, you know, uh, love God and sin boldly. So he spent a lot of time in the bar room, (laughs) drinking beer and talking theology. And he had a mistress. But anyway, we'll leave that alone. 
But my point is, he took the barroom songs and he put the new theology to present tense music to shape the future. Because one of the things that's connected to the Elijah spirit, if you remember, there was a king that wanted a word, and he said, bring the minstrels. And when the minstrels came and played, the hand of the Lord came on him, and he was able to prophesy. Music, because of its vibration, and because everything is vibration, nothing quite impacts the future. Watch, this is our problem, guys. Nothing quite impacts the future like music. And when you sing, you are putting a word to a vibration that literally is releasing creative tension into the future. And our problem is, we keep doing the same old stuff, repackaging it over and over again, no clue that we're even supposed to be prophetic with it. And nothing that has real good new theology in it at all. So here's our problem. What, what, you cannot connect with that higher self until you realize it's actually part of you. And guess what? Christ, God doesn't do anything, nothing in your life apart from your higher self. Whatever you receive from God, okay, every good and perfect gift does what? What does James say? Every good and perfect gift does what, saints? Comes where? Down. Where's it coming down from? How does it come down? Whatever you get, what, what good does it do you? Paul says, you're blessed with every spiritual blessing where? In heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. What good does that do me? But see, every good and perfect gift comes down. Which means everything God does, He relates to your higher self first and gives to your higher self in Christ in those dimensions. And your job is not really to connect with God. Your job is to be able to connect with your higher self which is already immersed in God. You have to connect with your own Eli-Yah, the Tishbite. And then it comes into this physical manifestation. So your higher self relates to God. Your higher self receives from God and then downloads it into your avatar who's playing the game of life. That's radically shocking. So here's our worship. And please hear my heart in this. Come into the room, Lord. No, we're singing these songs. We're singing songs of separation. We're singing songs where God is completely other and separated from us. Come, Lord. Come fill this place. Come fill me. Come into the room. Let your glory fall. More love, more power. The whole time, what you're singing to yourself is you, you're separated, you're disconnected, and if you need more love and more power, that means you don't have enough which means you are reinforcing a poverty mentality and you're using the vibration of the future to reinforce your sense of separation. You're using it to reinforce your sense that God is other than you. You're reinforcing it. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then we throw in all this sin stuff on top of it. Lord, have mercy. At the cross, at the cross, where, you know... You get it? You aren't at the cross anymore. 
That's what Paul's trying to get them to see in Ephesians. You aren't at the cross anymore. So if we're going to shape the future, we keep programming ourselves because Elijah does what? Elijah will come and do what? Restore all things. That means the prophetic voice is a voice of restoration of what has been lost. And so if you've lost your sense of connection, if you've lost your sense of power and love, see, the whole thing is you don't have to get any of it. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You are already made alive with Christ. You are already in heaven. You don't have to die to get to heaven. You're already there. You've already been given, Peter says, all things that pertain to life and godliness in Second Peter chapter 1. If you've received, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Well, has the Holy Spirit come upon you? Then why are you crying out for more power? Because all you're doing is telling yourself you don't have any. And reinforcing the old ego consciousness. Why do you cry? I hope you guys aren't learning more love, more power. I'm just picking on it. Why are you crying out for more love when it says, when it says that the Holy Spirit has shed the love of God abroad in your heart? In Romans chapter 5. Read your Bible. You're declaring religion. And the past. Not present truth. And not the future. And it's not prophetic. And it stinks. Why? Because it keeps us stuck in a consciousness that God is trying to shift. I'm telling you this by experience. Sure, I love some of the rhythms and some of the songs and the way it moves my soul. And it resonates with my broken parts. There is a part of me that when it gets dark, says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We'll get to that in a moment. That's where we'll close. There is a part of me when life is overwhelming me and I'm standing before a mountain that feels powerless. There's a part of me that feels hopeless. There's a part of me that feels lost. I have all that stuff inside me, but none of that exists in the heavens. So when I hear that stuff, what vibrates inside me is this life, which I love and want to cling to and want to hold on to. And so it's very easy. Why do you think country music sells so well? Because we just like that stuff that vibrates our temporal self. So we get in there and this music vibrates our temporal self. And then I reinforce the consciousness of it. When what God's trying to get us to do is connect with our higher self. And shift into a different consciousness. Oceans. So let's let's find some some decent ones. And the reason I'm saying this is because I've been looking. They ain't out there. I mean, don't pick on our worship team. They're doing the best they can with what's out there. Oceans. You know that song? Spirit, lead me. How's it go? How the words? Yeah, where my trust is without borders. Where I walk upon the waters, right? It's about getting out of the box. It's about getting out of this lower self. 
It's about moving into the higher realms of possibilities and limitless living. And so when that song comes on, it begins to resonate with a different part of you. It begins to awaken the Christ self. It begins to awaken the part of you that is merged and joined with Christ. It begins to awaken the part of you that's already alive, not looking for life. It begins to awaken the part of you that's already got authority in heavenly places, not looking for authority. It begins to awaken the part of you that's already blessed in heavenly places. Why do we pray, Lord, bless me? He has already done it. (laughs) I, I feel like, all right, I just feel like I need to quit. Seriously. All right, let's let's just close with this. Matthew, this is going to seem kind of off, but I mean, just like off topic. But Matthew, Matthew, let's close with this, and we'll be done. Matthew twenty six. <clears throat> no, not not Matthew. I'm sorry, Mark. And Mark doesn't have twenty six chapters, so let me find it. In case you're looking, wondering what Bible is he using, no wonder, no wonder he thinks differently than the rest of them. He, He's got a different Bible. Thirty-three of chapter fifteen, verse thirty-three of chapter fifteen. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. I want you to notice that darkness over the whole whole land from the sixth to the ninth hour. It's very important. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who stood by when they heard said, look, he is calling for Eliyah. That's not just in there by accident. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that, he cried out, that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. Now, numerology in Scripture is important. Don't get hung up on the historical event. That is our problem. You don't understand the ancient writers. They are not concerned with proving to you something historically happened. They're trying to awaken your consciousness to the kingdom of heaven. And our problem is, is the church thought you had to die to get into the kingdom of heaven. When you don't die into it, you awaken into it. It's a shift of consciousness. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is where? Inside you. Right? So everything in Scripture is to awaken your consciousness. And Jews, and Matthew and Mark, they're particularly circulated among Jewish audiences. And numbers are always significant. So six, the sixth hour, has nothing to do with it being three o'clock or whatever it was. It's not like, I mean, what do you think? that the, the, They just looked down and told time, wow, it sure got dark out here. And then they thought, well, we better include the time. Six represents something. The sixth hour represents something. You see the same thing in Jesus when he meets the woman at the well who's thirsty for everything that's out here. Jesus met her at the sixth hour. And then moved her into the hour is coming. 
The hour now is and is coming when true worshipers will worship Him in the Spirit and truth. So He moved her from the sixth hour, which is the hour of created order of man. Because man was created on the sixth day. And 666 is the number of a man. So it's man trapped inside the created order. So as long as you're trapped inside the created order, you're always looking for something outside yourself to quench your thirst. So Jesus comes to the woman at the sixth hour and moves her from drinking water out here to drinking a well of water in here and moves her from the sixth hour to the hour that now is that the Father is looking for those that will worship in spirit and in truth. Because spirit is above time and space. All right. So it's the same thing here. Jesus at the sixth hour, trapped inside the created order with a sense of separation from God. Now darkness comes for three hours or until the ninth hour. Right now, nine is always the number of judgment, or it's the it's the end of one cycle that precedes the beginning of a new one. Nine is the number where you're standing at the event horizon, waiting for the future to happen, because you realize that you can't keep recycling the old. You got to get out of one level of the nine, and you got to move into the next level of the ten, which is the zero, the no thing, and God, the one that's bringing forth the future. You'll get that about 3 o'clock in the morning. Are you with me? Are you breathing? Now, the other thing they would do in Jewish numerology is they'd add numbers together. So you add 6 and 9 together, and what do you get? 15. Then they would reduce it down to its basic by adding again. So you add the 1 and the 5, what do you get? You're back to 6. So Jesus, when he's functioning as a human being who's cut off from his higher self, externalizes everything about God and feels like in that place, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But they think he's calling for Elijah. What? Because Elijah represents the higher self. So what do they do? They give him a sponge full of vinegar. Why? Because it's that self that wants to keep drinking the bitterness of life. And if you don't believe it, become a therapist. People will pay you so they can come drink vinegar with you. Again and again. Anyway. But what does he do? At the ninth hour, what does he do? He rises above it. He moves, if you will, from the nine to the ten. He moves out of the realm of just this disconnected egoic self into the realm of the heavens into the realm of connection, into the place of ascension. And what happens? The veil of the temple is torn. Because really, here's the veil. The veil is that sense of separation that you have from God. Here's what God's doing with the veil. He's showing, he's showing us in picture form that because of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because of the fallen mind of Adam, Man has externalized God into ritual and place. So therefore, God puts himself behind the veil because he's representing to them. He's doing two things. He's representing to the people how they think to relate to them. And then he's trying to show them an interior reality by putting himself in the innermost place. By trying to get you to look inside yourself and say, he's not out here, he's in here. That's why the Holy of Holies wasn't in a corner someplace. It was in the center, in the innermost. 
Now here's the here's the secret. Here's the dirty little secret. When 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 the first temple was destroyed, all the the Ark of the Covenant, the lampstand, all that stuff disappeared. And so Josephus, this historian, tells us this. But if you follow it closely in the Bible, you can see it. There was nothing in the Holy of Holies. Which means the entire temple system was a sham. Which is why Jesus called them thieves and robbers. You've taken a house of prayer and turned it into a den of thieves. So why does it split at that moment? Because what it's showing you, what it's showing you is that all that externalizing of God pushing him out here leads to nothing. Because where you really need to look in order to find that higher self is within, which means you're never disconnected. It's never come, Lord. It's never fill this room. Think about it. Come fill this room. Let your glory fall. Oh, didn't you feel the presence of God? But it's all disconnected. And when the veil is torn, you see that's nothing. And Eli Yah is really in here. And it's through that inward spark of the divine that I'm connected, that I become Eliyah the Tishbite. If you dwell in me, I will dwell in you. And you'll ask what you will, and it'll be done for you by my Father who is in heaven. So you can stand before whatever is controlling your life. Whatever external forces are controlling your life, you can stand before them and say, I'm taking charge here from my higher self. And there will be no rain. There will be no life. There will be no water. There will be no open heaven except at my word. I won't find it by being this disconnected self saying, Oh God, where are you? I won't find it in the sixth hour. I will only find it when I realize that all life comes when only the higher self speaks to whatever the situation is that I'm confronted with. So we're going to look at Elijah for the next few weeks as a pattern of your higher self in Christ to see what we can discover about our own authority and position and power so that we can shift our consciousness from this to that and begin to function as the tish bite of our own life who dwells among the habitation where all the healing ointments of Israel came out. Where we can find that which will heal everything in our life and bring us real wholeness. Make sense? Let's stand up. I'm sorry if I offended you with your music. It's important. It's important. Right? Now don't freak out if we're singing, because you, you gotta work with what you got. But don't be deceived into thinking you're separated just because a song says you are. You don't have to sit there and beg for mercy. God who was rich in mercy. Oh Lord, be merciful to me. How can he be anything other? What, what a stupid thing to say. <laughs> Think about it. It's like going into your doctor and saying, be a doctor to me today. 
I mean, how's your doctor going to react? <laughs> Examine me today. See if I'm healthy today. I mean, y- you see it? But we talk that dumb way to God all the time and don't think anything of it. All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is how you win friends and influence people. Let's open our hearts. Just really receive a download of this. If you can get past the offense, and I'm not saying anybody in here is offended, but... I realize I'm talking to a much greater audience as well than just those of you that are in this room. If you can move past the offense, you can get to your breakthrough. You can realize everything you want is already in you and part of you. You just have to learn how to access it. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for your ministry of illumination and revelation. Lord, even as Jesus said, in that day you will know that I am in you and you are in me and I am in the Father. And we all sit in that place of oneness. And I ask for a download from heaven. I ask for that download from the higher self that brings a sense of empowerment, that brings a sense of control, that brings a sense of authority that brings a sense of hope. Father, that we can be that people that stands at the event horizon and begins to prophesy our own future, speak to our own mountains. So let the spirit of might strengthen you by the riches of God's glory with all grace in your inner person and let Christ dwell in your heart through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend together with all the saints What is the width and the height and the length and the breadth of the love of God which surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God and to him who is able to do do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond all that you can ask or think according to the power that's at work in you. To him be glory in the church now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, saints. Have a great day, Tish Bites.